All right, good morning. Exodus chapter 18, let's take our Bibles and try to find our way to that book. We're talking about the journey. We've been on the journey for a while, and uh, just to kind of bring you up to date where we are, we are with Israel in the wilderness, trying to navigate our way with them through all the trials, circumstances, and difficulties that they face, and guess what? You and I face too, amen? I mean, has anyone really not had a trial in the last six months? Would you raise your hand? You know, I mean, you know, if you, if you are one of those people, good for you. We want to know more about you for sure. But here is one of the, uh, the chief things we want to keep saying. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. In other words, everything you see, everything you feel, even everything you sense tells you that everything is not a miracle. And yet if you read about what God was doing for 40 years for Israel, every step of the way was indeed a miracle. And what I want you to do is to start looking at your life differently. Take the trials, take the circumstances, take the difficulties that you face today and say to yourself, you know what, this very well could be a miracle of epic proportion. I just can't see it right now. And ask and invite God's favor to come on your situation. You never know when opportunities are going to open up and things are going to start to change for you. And what you want to do is be sensitive to what God is doing because sometimes you close yourself off and you can't see the hand of God. And indeed, God is working all the way. Second thing is this, the wilderness will forge your character. You know, when you read about what was happening in the life of Israel, it was more than just running them around in circles. It was more than just miracles. They had to have their character forged in that, in that hot fire of trial. Because God was not trying just to get them from point A to point B. God was trying to transform them and change them. God was trying to move them from where they were to where he wanted them to be. He indeed would bring them into a land, a new land. And that land was going to demand more from them than they had given in the past. Because life for us has to be more than just mere existence. It has to be more than just saying prayers and going through motions. It has to be a dynamic where the Spirit of God living in us, creates that divine presence for people wherever we go and confirms that we're on this road that God wants us to be on. The other thing in this wilderness report is this, that you have to focus on what's in front of you. They could look back. They could look back to Egypt and say, you remember when? But Egypt was gone. And as much as they hated Egypt while they were there, it seemed preferable when they were in the middle of the wilderness. And it's so true, how many times have you had a conversation with yourself, let alone somebody else? Right? And you're talking to yourself. You know, when you start answering yourself, you know you're in trouble. Right? You say, oh, what do you think? Well, I'm thinking about this, and you're kind of going back and forth. But how many times have you talked about and dwelt on past, whether it was success or failure, and you put that as a contrast up against what's happening today in your life? And you were disappointed. Yesterday does not define tomorrow. God and your relationship with him defines tomorrow. Let's look in our Bibles now, Exodus chapter 18 and beginning in verse 13. Uh, Moses has now met up with his father-in-law, Jethro. And Jethro is going to be instrumental in his life in bringing about a reorganization 
of the nation and the forming of this nation. But I don't want you to think this is all about that. This is about how God reorganizes your life and directs your life. Verse 13, it says, And it was so the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning till evening. Now, you know what that tells me? tells me they had a lot of questions and they had a lot of problems. Morning and night, they're standing. They're waiting. He's trying to answer every question. He's trying to solve every problem. He's going through this whole process. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to inquire of God. So they've got God questions. And probably what they're asking is the question all of us have asked somewhere in our journey, right? God, why? God, what? I don't understand. And we have those kind of side to us because there is the divine and there is the human and there is that there is that gap in between there and us trying to relate and understand well how do I fit what I'm going through in life with what God is saying in his word and what God is doing in my world and it says here in verse 16 when they have a difficulty they come to me and I judge between one another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws so what he's doing is he's revealing truth this is what God would do this is how God would see this situation So Moses' father-in-law said unto him, the thing that you do is not good. Isn't it interesting? He looked at him, he said, what you're doing is not the best way to do this. Because eventually what's going to happen is you're going to probably wear yourself out and wear them out in the process. You're probably going to assume that you have all the answers and you don't. And we need to find a new system, a new way to do this. So it says in verse 18, Uh, Both you and the people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you, and you are not able to perform it by yourself. You know, I would hate to think that I had to do everything that needed to be done just for us to show up here on Sunday morning. I mean, I don't even know where to start. I mean, our media group gets here. Our prayer team gets here. They set up. They pray. they, They hang banners, you know, and they... Coffee comes in and speakers go up and musicians set up and snakes and wires and lizards and everything else that goes on up here on this stage. Not to mention during the week, you know, people are, are, you know, typing up things and printing things, picking up things. And it's too much for any one person. And I think the beauty of where we are as a church is the beauty that we are at a stage where we can all participate. And we can be a part of what God is up to. And sometimes we undervalue that. We think, well, what can I do? And you'd be surprised what what just a little bit of of everybody contributing to the whole process, how it can change the outcome and how it can make you feel a part and bond you in a way that you've never felt before. I think that's the way God wanted it. I think God wanted his church participating in, in his work, don't you? He wasn't looking for a bunch of, you know, participants that, that were never just, I mean, uh, uh, observers that were never participants. He wanted people engaged. Well, look what else it says here. Verse 19, listen now to my voice and I will give you counsel and God will give you uh, counsel. It will stand uh, before God for the people that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, show them the way in which they must walk and the work which they must do. Moreover, select from among all the people able men such as fear God, Men of truth, hating covetousness, 
and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. And he says there, everybody's going to engage. If they love God, they hate covetousness, but not everybody's going to engage on the same level. Some are going to be qualified or desire to, to, in this case, oversee thousands, some hundreds, some fifties, some's just ten, but everybody can engage on some level. And it says that, that uh, in verse 22, and let them judge the people at all times, then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. Do you like it when somebody bears your burden? Let me tell you, the, the worst thing you can do is own a pickup truck. <laughs> how many of you own a pickup truck or have owned one? You know what I'm talking about? Have you noticed how many friends you have when you have a pickup truck? When we first got married, I had a pickup truck, and everybody said, hey, I know you got a pickup truck, and I'm moving. You know, and at that moment, it's too late. It's too late to say, I just sold it this morning. Man, I wish I could help you out. But if you're on the other end of it and some guy goes, I've got a pickup truck, would you like me to come by and help you haul all that stuff? How do you feel? I mean, it's like it's, it's almost on the same level as when you've got a flight out of LAX and someone says, well, could I take you, drop you off, pick you up? Just the opposite of that is when you look at somebody and say, hey, do you think you can take me to the airport? They assume it's Orange County. Hey, do you think you can take me to the airport? And they go, yeah. And then you go, oh, it's LAX, and it's uh, 5.30 a.m. <laughs> you never see those people again. You now have got a, on a list that they never are going to answer your phone ever, ever again. But it says here that bear the burden. You know what it says in Galatians? It says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And this bearing one another's burdens is not just about this idea of, you know, helping somebody out. I was in a discussion with someone not too long ago, and, and uh, they were talking about giving from a Jewish perspective, and they said something I'd never heard before, and they said, it's a righteous deed. And I said, wow, I've never heard it like that. I've heard it like an obligation, and I've heard it like helping out and those kind of things, and but a righteous deed, and that a righteous deed does not return void. And I think this shouldering the burden of someone else is part of a righteous deed too. It's the idea that it, it's taking up the, the mantle of Christ for someone else when they can't really hold the cross, when they can't hold the problems they're in. We can't carry everybody's burdens, but we can carry some, and we should. So he says, the burden is too great for you. And it, it tells us here in verse 20 thing, 23, if you do this thing and as God commands you, then you will be able to endure. You know, over the years as, in, as a minister, you know, I've, I've watched people that just are ready to give up. Some of you might today be ready to give up. You're just going, you know, I don't know if I can make it. About a month ago or so, a month and a half ago, we had that prayer and healing service in the, in the park, and I was absolutely shocked at how many people and the depth of hurt people had. And honestly, as a pastor, I mean, I had to just go back and recalibrate my heart and say, God, I had no idea. And it was good for me, and it was a burden that God allowed me to carry to a greater level. Because it, what it does is it's transformational. 
And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about this idea of the transformation. Because that's really what happened. It was this nation of Israel that was transformed from a multitude into a nation. But in our own life, when does, when does transformation occur in our life? I think it starts with a problem. And the good news is everybody's got one, right? A crisis or a difficulty creates an opportunity to seek God on a whole new level. Trials help us to determine how we will relate to God and what our God is like. You know, life increases in complexity as we go down through time. Have you noticed that? I mean, just watch. You know, our, you know, we've got new neighbors that moved in, and they've got three wonderful little kids. And you know, life for them is complex for those kids. But it's less complex for them than it is for me and you. And their real concern is, you know, what can I, can I go swim today? Can I get lunch? Can I have fun? Do I have to go to school? Their parents are thinking, how do I get them to school? How do I get them to do their homework? And I got three of them, and everything's multiplied. And so life does increase in complexity, and what it does is it prevents us from reaching our new level of success in our faith. Because that's the most successful thing you can do is, is believe God. In order to move forward in your life, what do you need to do? You need to choose the future over the past. Just make a decision. I'm choosing tomorrow over yesterday. I need to develop new relationships in my life because, see, here's kind of what happens. Life kind of starts looking like this. We have these ceilings of complexity. We find ourselves just kind of bouncing off the ceiling. We think, well, how come I can't get any higher in my faith? How come I can't get any higher in my life? How come my prayers aren't answered? And we feel like sometimes our prayers are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling. And we don't know where to go. Where do I go with this, God? I feel like I'm really doing all the right things. We've checked the boxes. Let's see, prayer, check. Offering to God, check. Go to church, check. And I do all these checks. We think, well, God, I'm doing the right stuff. How come it's no different? And there's a ceiling of complexity that builds up. And what we want to do is we want to have one of these breakthroughs in our life so that what we do is we say, you know, now I know how to live this life. Now I know how to get my prayers answered. What we have to do is we have to shift the way that we view a situation, a person, or even God himself. Because what that does is it allows for this larger view of God. Let me, let me just set it up like this. Here's a problem. And we all know this, right? God can do anything. Just say it with me. God can do anything. That's not the problem, is it? The problem is he's not. Am I right? That is the problem. That's where this human and divine hit the wall. I, I, can, I, I can't find anybody who probably disagrees with that. If there is a God, can he do anything? Oh, yeah, if, you're, if you've got God on your resume, you can do anything. But he's not doing that. He's not doing that in your life the way that you want him to do it. And you face complex problems and you say, God, where are you? And you don't know how to respond to God and it makes you wonder, is my faith too small or is God not happy with me? And that seems to be the only solution you seem to go in. He's not answering my prayer. There must be something wrong with either me or God. And here's what I found. I found the answers to the most important questions are not to be found in my head, but in my heart. Because in the, in the, in the depths of my mind where I'm trying to roll through all the what if, how come kind of questions, I never seem to get peace. But if I can move that from my head to my heart, and I must push past 
finding out, to place myself in the resting arms of Christ. Did you hear that? I have to push past the finding out. I think that's why God included that scripture in Isaiah 55 where it says, my ways are past finding out. They're gone. They're, they're beyond that. You can't get it. And my ways are not your ways. Listen to what it says in the book of James. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall, uh, when you, when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And see, as you shift in the way that you view a situation, I was at uh, Starbucks the other day and the gal working behind the counter, I said, how are you doing? And she goes, uh, oh, horrible. Well, it's not the best customer relation comment, <laughs> right? Horrible. I go, really? Looks like everything's going good for you to me. She goes, what do you mean? A little attitude, which I appreciate a little attitude. What do you mean? I says, well, you, you're young. What are you, like 22? I'm 23. Okay, 23. You got a lot of years left on you. You're halfway decent looking. <laughs> hey, I'm not going to lie. You're not a beauty queen, honey. You're halfway decent looking. I said, I bet you got friends, don't you? Yeah, I got friends. You employed? Clearly you are. Are they paying you for this job? Or you have, they force you to come up here and work for nothing? Yeah, I get a paycheck. Got benefits here? Yeah, I got benefits. Live in America, that's a pretty good deal. Right? I go, now tell me again why you're having a bad day. You know what she said? I think I'm having a good day. What happened? The only one thing happened. I asked her to shift her perspective. The only thing I did. I didn't throw any magic dust on her. Right? I didn't give her $500 and say, I hope you feel better. That probably would have pepped her up. All I did was say, shift your perspective on your life and see how it looks. And when we, when we focus on the things that are going wrong in our life, guess what we do? We invite negativity and death into our life. When we focus on the things that are going right, we invite this positivity. We invite God into our life and our perspective begins to change. Proverbs tells us this, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, so are you. What you think about translates out into your life. It says that, it tells us here that we need to shift in the way that we view our situation so that we find that we lack nothing. See, when I change that, I lack nothing. You know why? Because you will see resources you never saw before. You will discover opportunities that are right in front of you. What could have been closer to Moses than his father-in-law Jethro, and that was the source and that was a solution? We have to push beyond the boundaries of the past. You know, Moses didn't know one day that he would be really a founder of a mighty nation that would be born in a day, the nation of Israel, that it would rise up out of the ashes of the Holocaust 
And on May 4th, 1948, would be established in a day as Isaiah said it would in Isaiah 66. Can a nation be birthed in a day? And it was. It was God's divine plan. It was God's divine plan in the latter days to raise it up. And this shift that happens in Exodus 18 would transform a multitude into a nation that one day would be the key to our understanding the prophetic times that we live in right now. I sat down, and I may have referred to it a few weeks ago, I sat down with a man who's from Washington, D.C., who wants me to lead a tour to Israel. And I've never really been that up on it. I've been to Israel, and I love it, but I'm just not the tour guide kind of guy, you know? I mean, drive the bus up, turn everybody loose, come back here in a couple hours, and we'll talk about it. He said, no, no, I want you to do something quite different. He said, I want you to work in conjunction with the Israeli government and the Jewish rabbis. And I want you to follow the footsteps, not of Christ, but the prophetic footsteps of Scripture and go to the places in Scripture that talk about the return of Christ and the end of the world. And I want you to do it with Orthodox Jewish rabbis. And then I want you to culminate that event in Jerusalem with a prophecy conference. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is the craziest thing I ever heard. I got a text from him yesterday, just landed, just left Ethiopia, just landed in Tel Aviv, uh, had a great meeting last week. I was in Israel with the Israeli government. They're fully behind it. They only have one question, one request, promise you won't convert the Jews. <laughs> and as I thought about this passage, I thought, isn't it interesting what God does? You know, when we, when we got, got the, to, together and we began to, to sense that God was wanting us to launch this church. We wanted to launch a church that could influence not just our world and our families, but the entire world in a different kind of a way. You know, and there's going to be a day, and it's not going to be that far off, that we're not going to be sitting here in the junior high school with the coyote on the back wall. We've got a building team, and we're looking at into different options right now, and I envision that we're going to have a, a big one story box that's not over the top expensive but nice and dialed in and a place where you can come where there's going to be all kinds of activities where seven days a week we can be a center of influence for the world and we've we're dreaming everything from crazy big dream stuff like one of the buildings we're looking at right now is 150,000 square feet that's about as crazy as anybody can get but we're talking about putting Things of influence in there like subleasing that out to a, 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 a skateboard park, an indoor park with giant ramps where kids can come and they can hear not only about an influence of God, but they can find a healthy environment, a place. Isn't that good? We've actually talked to a movie theater. Would you be willing to go in there? We'd have a theater there. It wouldn't be ours. It'd be yours. It's a center of influence. We'd have a restaurant in there. We'd have our own health club in there, have our own recording studio. It'd be a place where we don't just build something, spend a lot of money, and six days a week ignore it. A preschool in there where you can come and drop the kids off. Dad, you ought to like this. When mom gives you responsibility and you're trying to manage it at home, you just say, wait a minute, I'm going to influence. We're going to church. I can put him in there for eight hours and go do what I want to do. Amen. place there where you can have Bible studies, a place there where you can have a man cave. 
Amen. And we're praying to that end. We want you to pray with us on that. We don't know what God is up to. You know what? You know, let me tell you, I, told, I had, a, had a great meeting with a couple here in our fellowship yesterday, and I said, let me tell you what, how much I know about the will of God, how I really know the will of God. When I look back, I'm always right. <laughs> I told somebody one time she was pregnant, and she said, I'm going to find out, you know, boy or girl, no, I'm not going to do it. I just want to be surprised. I said, I can tell you right. I, I've never been wrong. Really? Never been wrong. What do you think it is? I said, well, I've never been wrong after the baby's born. That's what I meant. But, you know, the will of God looking forward, you go, God, we're going to walk down this road. We don't know where it's going to lead, but we're going to take the right steps. And you can shut a door anytime you want. You can open a door. But I'd rather trust God for something big and fail and trust God for something small and fail. You know what I mean? I'd rather just get out there in the world and see what God can do for us and with us. Here's what it says. Fear not, Isaiah 41. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Don't let anybody, anything else be your God but God. Don't let your emotions be your God. Don't let your friend be your God. Don't let money be your God. Let God be your God. And this is what he says, yes, and I will help you. God, you, I'm calling on you. You said it. I'm going to believe it. You've got to help me through this one. You put God on the spot. He puts you on the spot every day, amen? He said it. Trust him for it. And he says, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The challenge is this. The challenge in our life is always to stay balanced. It tells us there in verse 18, you know, you're going to wear yourself out. Emotionally, physically, spiritually balanced. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless when? At the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who calls you is faithful, and he will also do it. You know what that says? God takes responsibility for helping you to balance out your life. You know how he did it with the Apostle Paul? Only way I can get this guy to slow down is put him in jail. That's what he did. That, you know, that's how all the letters, almost all the letters he wrote were written. They were written from jail. Sometimes God slows you down for a reason because he wants you to refocus. You have to listen to God. Look at, take advice. Listen to my voice, he says in verse 19. Here's the voice of God. Listen to this, Jeremiah 29, 11. Just write the reference down. 29, 11, book of Jeremiah. Listen to what it says. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. You know God's thinking about you all day long? All day long God's thinking about you. Here's what he says. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. You ever think God's mad at you? Why would he be mad at you? Why would he be mad at you? He loved you when you were a complete enemy. He died on the cross for you when you hated his guts or at least ignored him. Why would he be mad at you? That's not the right picture of God. God is a good God. He says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you. He said, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. We also need to listen to others. It says here, listen to my counsel. Take counsel, he says. In, in Proverbs it says, but in the multitude of counselors, there is security. You know what God's telling us there? Left by yourself, you will do dumb things. That's really what he's saying. That's the modern translation of that. I, I always like to say, guys are just dumb. They're, they're really not malicious. They're just not smart. And you get five guys in a room together, and they can convince themselves they're all smart. 
So when it says, you know, in the multitude of counselors, it's talking about getting some wise people around you who can feed you the right information so that you move down the right track in life. And you avoid that. We also have to release. It says, hey, you know what? You're going to bring these difficulties to God. You know what that is? Prayer. God, I'm just going to pray. Learn, it says in verse 20, learn the statutes of God. Learn the statutes of God. When we started the men's Bible study, we had three guys. It grew to 30. And now we're overrunning houses all over Orange County trying to find the right place. We're going to move to a new location this next time and with the promise that that house can hold 100. We'll see. But we had 62 last, last week. I want you to be there. I want, you to, I want to challenge you every other week. No man can do everything every week. I know that. It's just too much. I can shave every other week. I can take a shower every other week. I can do a Bible study every week. I can't do all those things every week, right? <laughs> what would happen if you had 300 men who forged their heart in the power of God and said, I will move forward for the kingdom? What would happen to men like that? Same thing is true of women. My wife has one. It'll be Monday night, tomorrow night. What would happen if women said, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to live my life for God in the power of God and the Spirit of God, and I'm going to move forward? And you can join her in that Bible study to learn the, word, the way and the work. I love this quote from Winston Churchill. He said, to every person there comes in their lifetime that special moment when you are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered a chance to do a very special thing. I don't know when that time is for you, for me, for anyone. The chance that you do a very special thing, unique to you and your talents, what a tragedy if that moment finds you unprepared or unqualified for the work which God have, could have been the, your finest hour. What if, what if all of this activity you have is not preparing you for what God has for you and you miss out because you didn't take the extra effort, the extra time, the extra prayer, whatever. There's a new book out called The Slight Edge. I was just told about it by a friend of mine named Tom. And this idea is, what if I just took a little bit more time, I invested just a little bit more effort, if, and let's just use an example. What if I did 10 push-ups a day? What if I started doing 11 and then 12 every day, and I just took a little bit extra? What's it going to look? It won't pay off in the first week. It won't pay off in the first month, but what will it look like? What would be the same principle if you would take your life and say, what if I just captured the slight edge in my life by saying, I'm going to pray just a little bit longer, a little bit more intensity. I'm going to read one more scripture today than I normally would read. What, what the payoff would be. Because the finish line is what it's all about, isn't it? What good does it do you to run in the race and then just sit down before you get to the finish line? Ah, that was a nice race. All the participants sat down 15 feet before the finish line. The crowd's going, What? Now nah, we had fun. Well, that's dumb, right? I want to show you a clip from a movie called Facing the Giants. It's about taking that step to just push through to the goal. Let's watch this clip. Your actions will always follow your beliefs. Always. He says, get men that fear God. Fear God is a step of a courageous act. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, the question we have to ask ourselves, first of all, am I giving God my best? Am I giving God my best? When I was lying to my grandmother, she would make me look her in the eye. You know what I'm talking about? You just can't look a grandmother in the eye and lie. I don't know what it is. They have some kind of mysterious spiritual gift for seeing through that. And if I ask you this question, are you giving God your best? It's hard not to look down, isn't it? I know the answer to that before we even ask it for all of us. But here's the question I want to know. Would you be willing to try? Would you be willing to try? And in giving God your best, would you be willing to give your family your best? Would you be willing to give this church your best? Just try. Try. Everyone's talent is needed. We need every person to use their talent here at Influence Church. You'd be surprised what you can do. It may be a little thing, but over time it'll create a momentum. And it'll do something in you first. The first winner in that whole process that, that Moses had with Joshua was Moses. Because his heart aligned up with the things of God. When we work together, when we serve together, when we sweat together, it builds friendships and love with one another and for the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you, if you're not engaged, if you're not somehow involved in some level, and you walk out these doors and you look to the right, there's an iConnect table. You go there and go, I don't know what I can do, but I'll do it. And your schedule may be crazy, and that may give you an excuse. Well, there, I promise you there's something that can be done by every person. Put it to the, to the kingdom. Look at every, every single game you play in life as the biggest game of your life and play it to win. You may struggle to trust God, but view it as the biggest game of your life. Because that little thing you have to trust God for, remember, when you trust Him for it and you find a level of success in your faith, it prepares you for the next thing and it'll build confidence in your life. And we have to take our fears and we have to turn them into courage. Endurance is a key to crossing the finish line. You cannot expect for victory and plan for defeat. If you accept defeat, then that's exactly what you and I will get. Stand tall. Trust God. Sink or swim, do or die, you say, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and all my strength. Isn't that what he requires of us anyway? Let me give you two life applications. Here's the first one. Remember, no dream that you have is too big for God. God loves big dreams. He created a universe out of nothing. He loves big dreams. And then allow God to move you to do the impossible in your life. Write down sometime, what, what would be impossible for God to do in my life? Not impossible for God. We already figured that one out. Nothing is. And start moving in that direction. 